Welcome to Journey Church Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Here at Journey, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So whether you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend's worship experience. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. We hope you enjoy the message. But today... Uh, we are finishing up a collection of talks, a little two-part kind of mini series called Why Do We Do That? Why do we do that? I was a very inquisitive young child. I would always ask my parents, much like my kids, ask me today, why, why, why? Sometimes they ask really great questions you just don't have the answer um, to. And what we're doing is we're examining ancient church practices and asking, why do we do it? And when I say ancient, I mean things that the church has been doing for thousands of years. But we should ask, why do we do it? For two main reasons. One is because we will always be a church for people who are on the, on the journey for truth, trying to figure it out. And so some people who are, are, are maybe here even this morning, you were invited by a friend, and church is not something that you typically do. Maybe you did it when you were a child, but you don't normally do it. Well, this is a church for you. And so I like to tell our journey church people, guys, we just can't be crazy. We got to at least explain why we get crazy. That's the very least we can do. Um, ex- ex- explain it, right? Because the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, that you should be ready to have an answer for anyone who asks you the reason for your hope. And so we should be able to, to explain that. And we did that last Sunday when we talked about praise and worship. That came out of a conversation I had with a friend of mine who didn't really go to church. And then he came to our church one Sunday and he's like, what are you guys doing? And I'm like, it's called worship. He's like, it looks like drunk karaoke is what it is what it looks like. And because everybody's got their hands lifted up and there's people crying and it doesn't even make sense anymore. It's like the song starts off as a song, but at the end it's like, and if you I see Jesus. <laughs> Just the emotion overwhelmed. And it's like, so we got to explain that, why, why we worship the way we worship, why we jump and why we spin and why we get excited. And I hope that we did that adequately. If you missed that, you want to hear it, it's on our podcast. Uh, second reason why it's important to discuss why we do that is for those who have grown up in church their whole life. Because I think if you've grown up in church your whole life, or if you've done this church thing for a while, then I think that there can sometimes be a feeling of, of a feeling of, if you've done it long enough, a feeling of sometimes it's beginning to lose its power. Um, and and I, think, I think we need to talk about that. I think sometimes if you've been doing this long enough, a worship can feel like it's beginning to lose its power. Prayer can feel like it's beginning to lose its power. Community, getting around people can feel like it's beginning to lose its power. Church, this thing called doing church can feel like it's beginning to lose its power. Has anybody ever been there before? Is anybody there this morning? Well, 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 I'm not going to point and I'm not going to accuse, but I would say this. If you ever get there, it's important to ask your question, what's changed? Because not much has changed. I mean, God's still God, right? The Bible's still in print, you know? Um, worship is still worship. Some of the instruments maybe have changed, but the, the church is still the church. Um, I think if you ask that question, you would find out that what has changed is not a lot. What has not, it's not the what that has changed, and, and what is still powerful? God is still powerful. Prayer is still powerful. Worship is still powerful. Community is still powerful. What you have to understand is that the devil is not after your power. Hear me, he's after your purpose, because it's in purpose where power is found. And so he knows he can't steal the power from prayer, but if he can make you ask the question, why am I praying? If he can get you to ask the question, why am I coming to church? Then he's, he's stolen it, right? Because there is power in Purpose. That's where, that's where it is. It's in the why. 
Okay, so like Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, but I'm not a Christian today because Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. I'm a Christian because Jesus died for me 2,000 years ago. What he did was great, but why he did it is why I'm here. Why he did it is what has impacted me. Why he did it is what will impact the world should he tarry for the next 2,000 years. Purpose is where you find power. And so if you're looking for some power and impact in your relationships, if you're looking for some power and impact in your work, in your workplace, if you're looking for some power and impact in your faith, you got to come back to the reason and circle around and plant on top of why you do it. Why you do it. I wrote it like this, and, and maybe this will help you. The only limit on the potential of my process is the persistence of my purpose. God can get anything out of you and build you and grow you if you hold on to why you're going through it. And you can get through anything. Listen to me. You can get through the bad breakup. You can get through the sickness. You can get through the, the time when you're not making a lot of money. You can get through all of that if you hold on to your why. And not only that, those things will make you stronger if you can hold on to your purpose. In the Old Testament, there was this man named Job. And the devil wanted to tempt Job. The devil wanted to destroy Job's life because Job was a righteous man. And so the devil goes to God and he asks him for permission to destroy Job. And so, and so, so the devil begins to attack Job. And he steals Job's, finan Job's finances. He steals his riches. You know how Job responds? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why? Because riches was what he had, not why he served God. And then he comes after his family and begins to take his family, all his kids, his wife, gone. What was Job's response? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why? Because his family was what he had, not why he served God. And then he comes after his health, begins to inflict him with diseases. And Job responds, blessed be the name of the Lord because my health is what I have, not why I serve God. When you are secure in why you serve the Lord, when you are secure in why you are alive, when you are secure in your purpose, you can get through any process. You can get fired from your job and be confident because the what might have changed, but the why is still the same. If one day y'all get together and be like, I don't like you, JJ, you're a bad pastor, which hopefully you would never do that. But and I, I would, you know what, I'd be like, oh, bummer. But you know what, I'm gonna, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's, if it's starting a blog. I don't care if it's, if it's at the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A because they let you be a little more Christian than you probably ought to. You know, so I'd be at drive-thru at Chick-fil-A. I don't care what it is. My purpose in life is to bring people to Jesus, to walk with people back home. So my what can change as long as my why stays secure. See, when you are founded on your why, when you know your purpose in life, not only, do you, not only are you durable, but again, the power and impact of what you do is increased. As a more practical example, I'll just share very quickly a story about food. I love food. Anybody love food? Hey, man, make some noise if you love food. Good, good. That's good. That's good. That was actually louder than the make the noise for Jesus, which has me a little concerned as your pastor. Um, just a little bit. Uh, but uh, I, I love food, but I was never a big eater, if that, makes, if that makes any sense. And as a result, I was always a pretty skinny, pretty thin uh, young man. Um, I was one of those guys, uh, one of those kids that would, uh, like their mom and dad would ask them, hey, did you eat all your food? And then what I did, instead of eating it, was actually I'd grab my fork. Anybody did that when they were a kid? And they just kind of like, like compartmentalize the rice like all into one corner and then make the rest of the plate empty and be like, I'm done. <laughs> my grandma would not go for that. She would take the fork and she'd be like, no, no, uh-uh, eat, eat all the time. Um, so, but, but recently I decided, you know what, I want to I put on some weight. I want to put on some muscle and, and I want to do that because I want to be a great example for the church. I, I believe as a pastor, you ought to be an example spiritually, uh, mentally, 
and physically. And so, and so I started to, started to do some research and I found out that because of my metabolism, I would have to eat somewhere in the realm of 24 to 2,600 calories a day, which I know there are some people sitting in the audience right now that want to slap me because my problem is gaining weight. And you're like, shut up, okay? Because that's not my problem and I hate you right now. But listen, it's hard, okay? I wasn't a big eater. I had to literally force down food, okay? It's like, it's like 10 o'clock and I'm like, I've got like an ice cream sandwich bar. I'm like, ah, wow, this is hard. But I maintained, I maintained. Why did I maintain? Because I held on to my purpose. And as I held on to my purpose, the process began to do its thing. And I started to develop some muscle. I started to see the impact on me. I started, come on, I started to develop some muscle. Okay, yeah, thank you very much. I started, I'm glad you noticed. Why, you don't have to know, please don't, don't say it's embarrassing, stop it. Um, I started to develop some energy. I started to develop some health. I began to see the impact on other people, namely my wife. She can't keep her hands off me now. And it's just what has happened. Now, what I want you to understand is that chicken has not changed. Chicken is chicken, rice is rice, salad is salad. What I was eating did not change. Why I was eating is what changed. I'm just trying to, I'm belaboring the point to make the point. You've got to find your why in life, no matter in what realm you, you use that in. Again, work, school, family, marriage, relationships, dating, especially though, the things of the Lord. And there's one specific church practice that I want to talk about today that I feel is so powerful. But, but because we have the wrong why, or we don't have a why at all, we miss it. And I would be not doing my job as a pastor if I didn't bring this to light. And it's the topic of, listen to me, generosity. Generosity is one of the most powerful things that you can ever do as a believer. But a lot of people don't engage in it because they don't know, know why. I just want you to know, generosity is powerful if you've got a good why. And if you were here last week, you're probably saying, whatever, pastor, you said the same thing about praise and worship. I bet you're going to say the next thing next week about evangelizing. It's always the most powerful. Let me just tell you, praise and worship is powerful, but generosity, I would argue even more so. Why? Because you can sing anything and not mean it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I made tons of mixtapes when I was a teenager for girls. Just a bunch. I mean, it was low investment, high return. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have to always be on the phone with you. I didn't have to always tell you that I loved you. No, girl, if you don't think I love you, just, I, mean, I burned you this CD. I burned you this CD, okay? And you're going to put that CD in, and the moment you hit track number one, you're going to know that, oh, my life, I pray for someone like you. And I'll thank God that I, come on, church. Oh, cause all my life, I pray for someone like you and I. <laughs> Give it up for you guys. You're close to me like my mother. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, that's easy. But, but there's only one girl I bought a diamond ring for. Hello. Because there's something about sacrifice. There's something about generosity. There's something about giving something that's worth actual value that insinuates authenticity. And that's why generosity is, is, is that. The, the, the problem is, as much potential as generosity has for power, it also has for problems. I can't tell you how many people who will not come to church because of what they think generosity is. Can I tell you how many people who are actively against the church because what they think generosity is that when we were launching the church in Winter Park, we didn't know anybody in Winter Park. 
And so our plan was like, well, I'm going to join the Chamber of Commerce. I'm going to hang out with these business people and try and build some relationships. So I met this one young woman who started a, a, a business here in the city, and I started to tell about my church. And as I started to tell about my church, she started to open up about her marriage, and which is like when you're a pastor, it's like licensed to just drop whatever you got going on in your life, it seems like. And so I'm like, um, okay, will you be there on Sunday? Like, you know, she, but she's just opening up about, about her life. And I prayed with her. I prayed with her. And a couple months later, I found her business card as I was cleaning up my office. And I said, oh, hey, sent her an email. How's things going? She goes, oh, this is the most timely. She emailed me back. She says, this is the most timely message. My husband and I are actually on the way to marital counseling right now when you sent me this email. I know God is speaking to us. And I said, well, why don't you come to church? I'd love for you to come. And this is what she told me. She said, my husband will never go for it. She said, he thinks church is just a business. He thinks all they want is your money, which broke my heart that that was the thing that was keeping this, this man who, who obviously is in need of a higher power to intervene, who obviously is in need of some health and some restoration and a great perspective on life, would keep, would keep, would, would stay away because of the idea that God cares, that the only thing God cares about is your money. Because I'm going to be honest, your money means nothing to God. And here's, and I didn't even say that. God said that. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. Look what he said. Your sacrifices mean what? nothing to me. He went even further. He said, I'm sick of your offerings of rams and choice cattle. I don't like the blood of bulls or lambs of goats. You should know that sacrifices then were, were, were synonymous with income today. It would be our currency, if you will. And so what he's saying is, I don't even, it means nothing to me. But that at first glance gets confusing because there's a whole book in the Bible called Leviticus that talks about exactly how to give a sacrifice. So when I first read that, I was a little bit confused because I was like, well, I don't understand, God. Why are you mad at people if they're doing what you want them to do? You, you spent a whole book telling them how to do this. And I think another translation of this passage gives us insight into why God is upset. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11, this time in the New King James Version, it's saying the same thing, but it's giving you another perspective. Look what it says. To what? Say with me. Purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices. In other words, God's not upset at what they're doing. He's upset at why they're doing it. Because a lot of people serve God or feel like they come to church, uh, you know, just out of tradition, maybe just out of religion. Maybe it's what Christians do and this is what I do. And, and, I, don't, and I don't know that, the, that, that, that just coming or just what you're doing is really moves God. I think what really moves him is your heart behind it. He's looking at a people who've really got the habits of God down. They're doing the things God asked them to do, but but the habits of God apart from the heart of God mean nothing to God. One day I was at home and I wanted to surprise Liz. And so I washed all the dishes and put them all away, which is a big deal because if you know anything about my home or me, I have a bad history with dishes. Long story, won't get into it. Just don't like doing them. Um, we actually, when we got married, we had some like expectations. She was like, what do you want out of a marriage? I was like, my first thing on the list was like, I don't like dishes. So, you okay with that? She was like, sure. I was like, great. This is going to be a great marriage. You know, so, so she knows how much I don't like it, but I, but I did it. I did it, and I put it away. And when she came home, do you think the first thing she said was thank you? No. Then the first thing she said was, oh, baby, when you do the dishes, you no. The first thing she said was, why did you do that? Because... She's really, there's really two questions within that one question. The first question is, what did you do that you are trying to compensate for by doing these dishes? What's the real reason? <laughs> the second question is a little more scantily clad. 
Google it. Okay. The second question I think she was asking was, what do you want? You know what I'm talking about. And I have learned in 10 years of marriage, we'll be 10 next year. We're not even on nine yet, but I'm already celebrating 10. Isn't that crazy? I just want to say it. It makes you sound accomplished. <laughs> I've learned in nine years of marriage, the only right answer to that question is because I love you. Because I love you, right? Because why you do something is almost more important than if you did it. I would say this, why we serve God is more important than if you serve God. I'd say that. I think he's more concerned with your purpose. And, that, and if that discourages you, don't let it discourage you. Because what I'm saying is you've been struggling so hard to change your habits. And what you don't know is that your habits mean nothing to God. What he really cares about is your heart. Because if he gets your heart right, then your habits will follow your heart. And so stop trying to change your habits and just fall more in love with Jesus and let the relationship take care of the habits. I'm trying to free you. I just can't shake that. I just can't stop that. You're making it about something God never made it about. It's not about what you're doing or not doing. It's about who you are on the inside. And when that shifts, the habits follow. That's why God could not care less. I'm telling you, it's not about that at all. And so there are a bunch of uh, good reasons to serve God and be generous, but I, I can identify two reasons why we shouldn't. And so before I tell you why we do that, I would like to tell you why we shouldn't be generous, why we shouldn't serve God. This should not be the motivations for coming to church or, or, or wanting to have a relationship with God or coming to church because of, uh, or being generous and giving or tithing or any of those things. And we get them from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, where it reads as follows. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And so the first word or the first reason we, we get to not give is reluctance. But reluctance is a tough word actually in the Greek, which is what the whole New Testament is written in. It's the only time we ever find that word in the entire New Testament. And it's because I don't think it's an adequate translation. As I did my little word study, I found out that what the word really means is an unhappiness that settles in after a bad decision, which I don't know about you, doesn't sound like reluctance, sounds like guilt. And if there's one reason why we shouldn't be generous, it's not because of guilt. We should not let guilt. Guilt is a poor motivation to do anything. Yet it is oftentimes the motivation for coming to church and for, and for getting right with God. I've just been bad. I just, you don't know what I did. I got to come. I'm a burn. You know, I was, and I just want to feel guilty, you know. And I just want you to know, at this church, you will never hear a message of guilt. Guilt will never be the motivation for us to get you to do anything. You will never hear us say, we really need volunteers in Journey Kids. And if you don't, a generation will burn forever. Do you want that over your head? No? Well, then get a t-shirt and wipe a butt. You'll never hear me say that. Just want you to know. You'll never hear me say, do you love Journey Church? And everybody says, well, if you love it, we need to keep the lights on. So you better put some extra in the offering pair. Let's just hold this going to shut down. You will never hear me. Say that guilt is a poor motivation. I, I once knew a, a Bible professor who, um, who was formerly in the pastorate. And as he was a pastor, he was reading his Bible one night. He just got so convicted because the Bible is so powerful. And uh, maybe we should do a whole thing on that. Why do we read our Bibles? But it was so powerful. And so, so he, 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 he got convicted because he felt like his church wasn't reading the Bible as much as he was. And so he got up there on a Sunday morning and he said, and he said he says, you know how the Bible can change life, but you guys don't make time for the Bible. He said, you're too busy with your phones. You're too busy with your sports matches. You're too busy with this and too busy with that. I asked him, I said, well, what happened after that message? Did anybody change? He goes, no. 
It was one of the biggest mistakes of my life. He goes, I learned this. Years later, nobody changed. He goes, I learned this. You don't win people with, you don't, you don't, you don't guilt people to Christ. You win people to Christ. Psalms chapter one, verse one says, blessed is the man who meditates on the word day and night. God never wants to show you all the bad things that are gonna happen to you if you don't. He wants to show you the full life if you do. This is what I have for you. This is the fullness of life I want to give for you. Back in the old days, they actually used to guilt you into generosity. It was, it was called the selling of indulgences. Maybe you've heard of this. You used to go to church and you used to tell the, the, the priest or the pastor, you used to say, hey, um, they would say, what are your sins? And then you would, and you would, you would just lay it out. You'd just be like, well, kind of, I lied last week. And uh, I kind of cut this other guy off in traffic. And then there was this thing with my wife and... I think I might have cheated on her, and that was kind of bad. And then there was, a, and then you would throw in there something random, like, and I, I stole a towel from a hotel room, and uh, and it's just, uh, and the and the other guy would be in the back, like with the like, you remember the old days when they'd be like, where they weigh your food, and they're like, and you get that big bill that pops out. That's what they would do. They'd be like, okay, lying, all right, cheating on your wife, ooh, okay, stole a towel from a hotel, and they rip it at the end. They go, all right, well. Uh, that'd be $435, please. It's the actual church practice. And so they would guilt the generosity out of you. And I just want to say they got one thing right and one thing wrong. The one thing they got right is that there is a bill. And we are building up a tab. The thing they got wrong is that that bill's already been paid. That, that, that bill's already been paid. I'm sorry, I agree. I might owe $455. I might owe 1000 and whatever. But, but 2,000 years ago, God became a human being, gave his life on a cross to cover my debt. My debt is paid like the song said. My, 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 my chains are gone. I am free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. Listen, Christianity, if you might not have known this, but this is the beautiful thing about Christianity. It's not built on guilt. It's built on faith. It's not built on the, on the reality that I am a sinner. It is built on the faith that he made me saved, that he made me whole, that he made me heal, that he has forgiven me. And so that's what you need to do, by the way, in life when you begin to feel guilty. You need to reject guilt and declare faith. Two words that'll, that'll, two words that'll shake you up out of your guilt, but you got you to gotta believe it if you say it. But Jesus. But Jesus. So when you filter and when you fall and when you make mistakes, but Jesus. Point to him, point to him, point to him, because it's him who makes you righteous. Here's another reason why we shouldn't give, and it talks about it. It says, do not give out of reluctance, and do not give because someone pressured you to. In other words, this is not why I'm generous, not because I have to, not because I have to be. If guilt is one cornerstone of motivation, a bad one, the other one is probably forced to, have to, forced to, have to, and, 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 I, don't, and I don't think it's right. I don't think that's what God wants us and so don't get it twisted, by the way. The moment you have to do something, have to generosity is an oxymoron. Because the moment you make it a requirement, it ceases to be a gift. Are you following me? And so that woman at Chick-fil-A who went all the way from behind the counter and gave you your food and then refilled your sweet tea and then said, my pleasure, when you said thank you, they might be nice, but they ain't generous. That's their job. And the moment you force it, it ceases to be generosity. My wife had this great idea a couple years ago. We have really big families, really big families. Um, my dad is one of 10, 11. My mom's one of nine. And so we got these huge, and then on their side, their family's big, and Christmas would just be 
Like, you spent a month shopping for presents. And so she came up with this great idea. She said, let's do Secret Santa. All we got to do is buy one present. Because what happened was you buy everybody like a keychain. But when you get one person, you can get that one person a really nice gift. So we got this app called Elfster. <laughs> and, and you could put in the app the kind of gift you want. And there was a limit. $40 is the limit. But you got to spend all 40 You got to spend all 40 Can't be cheap. You got to spend all 40 So what you would do is you would put in what you want. And then the system would automatically pick a person to be your name, and they would, they, so they would get what you want, and then you'd have to get what someone else's want. So the first couple of years, it was like, oh, this is cool. We're saving a bunch of money. But then last Christmas, um, I said, my mother-in-law right in the front row. Thank you for the gift. I'm just going to talk about this, but don't take it personal. So last year, so last Christmas, last Christmas, I put in, I put in this, this thing I, I want to, and it, it, was, it was, my thing was uh, uh, like you stand on. Like a, like a cushion for your feet where you stand on at work. I have a standing desk in my office. And I like to stand and do work. And so I was standing on it and, uh, you know, typing in stuff. And so she, she, that was what I put in. And so, so Christmas comes. And, you know, first off, there's no surprise anymore. Oh, what's that big box in the corner? Like, you know it's yours, right? But then, but then, then you open it. And then, and, then, and then my mother-in-law is like, here you go. I was your secret Santa. Do you like it? And I'm like, yeah. And then, and then I wanted to say thank you. But I'm very analytical. And so as thank you was coming up, oh, by the way, I said it because I ain't dumb. But, but, but I, I, it, 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 as it was coming up, a part of me thought, but you had no choice. You had to buy me the mat lest you be shunned by the rest of the family. Like, it is a requirement. And so, and so what Secret Santa has done is that it has saved us money, but it's robbed us of generosity. Because now we can't do more than what we're expected. We only do what we're expected. That's why I feel, and I argue, that's how I would say, I would say tithing is not being generous. Because here's what the Bible says. Can I just tell you, and I know I shouldn't say that because I'm a pastor, in, but look at what Leviticus, look at what Leviticus 27.30 says. A tithe, one-tenth of everything from the land, that's what's one-tenth of your income, one-tenth of your net income, give it, to the, give it to the Lord. If everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the tree, what does those next words say? So here's the thing. You can't borrow my sneakers for and then on Christmas, give me back my sneakers. Right? Because it's not yours. It's mine. You got to give me that back. <laughs> You're required to give me that back. And so, and so when we say the tithe, tithing, tithing is God saying, you make 100, but 10% of it's mine. And so you, when you give me back something that already belongs to me, that is not something that you should, like, that's not generosity. That's what you have to do. Jesus said the same thing. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, he said this. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law? Because some people are like, that's Old Testament. Show me New Testament. Here it is. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Jesus is saying tithing is more important, but tithing with the wrong heart. Tithing without the why. Doing it just because you're required to. It does not move me. I don't care about your habits. What I'm after is your heart. Jesus didn't die on a cross to change your habits so that you could stop smoking. So that Jesus died on the cross so that you could fall in love with him and then out of love, those habits follow. That's why God wants your why and not necessarily your what. So those are two reasons why we shouldn't. Here are two reasons why we should. Are you ready? Why we do it? Three reasons. I'm going to hit them real quick. Why? Because we have more than enough. We are generous because we have more than enough. Now, you might be there thinking, sitting down thinking, you might have more than enough. 
That sentence on that screen does not apply to me. Allow me to argue that I think you have more than you think you have. My wife found a really cool way of getting our kids brand new presents without spending any money. Parents of little children, listen to me while I drop wisdom, okay? So good. So good. We have four cabinets in the living room, and they are full of toys. But every parent knows that after a while, the kids get tired of the toys, right? And so what, what my wife does is every five months or so, the kids get tired. Every six months, she'll go in and she'll take out all the toys. So they'll get, they'll get upset. The kids will be like, you know, I don't have no toys. I don't have no. By the way, that part, right? That we can just pause on generosity there. They have closets full of toys, but they don't have toys. Have you ever stood in front of a closet full of clothes? And complain about how you have no clothes? Like, let me take you on a mission trip real quick and show you what a closet with no clothes is. But that's another one point. I'm not going to hear that. I'm not going to guilt you, okay? So that's all that. But, but so I got nothing. I got nothing. So fine, you got nothing. So every six months, my kids, my kids will go away to my, my in-laws, and then, and, then, and, then, and, then, and then Liz will go. She'll go upstairs to the attic. Because what she's been doing, what they didn't know, is that she would actually store their old toys that they got tired with playing a year ago. She stores them. She gets more presents on Christmas. She stores them. People give us stuff. She doesn't give it to them right away. She stores them. And then six months, she rotates all the toys from the attic into the con- The kids get home, and they're like, new toys. Woo! Mom, you're the best. We're just being generous, son. We're just generosity overfloweth from our souls. My children, it's just... You're just being generous. You're just being generous, you know, and, and, they're, and they're so excited. I guess the point I'm trying to make is you can't judge what you have just by what's in your hands. You need to judge by what you have. You need to judge what you have by what's in your father's house because he's got more in the house than you've got in your hands. And just because you can't see it doesn't mean you don't own it. I'm preaching way better than you are saying amen or clapping. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean that you don't own it. He's storing it up. Look what Luke chapter 12 verse 33 says. Sell your possessions. Give it to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags and do, they do not grow old. Storing a treasure in the attic. Storing a treasure in the heavens that does not fail so that when the thief comes and steals one boyfriend, God says, that's okay, I've been saving your husband in the attic. And so don't you worry, I got him. He's been locked up. That's what he, Where's my husband? He's locked up right now. He's, he's stored in the attic and he's coming, okay? So, then when, so, when, so when that tax man comes and you thought you were going to get a, a refund and you got a bill, he said, don't worry, I got some stuff stored up in the attic that I've been saving for you. You just trust me. I got this and it's going to come as you need it. Amen? Amen. But here's the other point. You wouldn't have had it. He didn't store it. He does not store what you don't give. I could just shut it down right there. But I got two more points, and I got to get to these points. This next one is going to sound like a contradiction. We give because we have more than enough, ready? We give because we have little. Some of you guys are like, amen. That's the sentence right there that I can relate to. I, I have little, my friend, very, very, very little. And, 
And, uh, and so, but is that really a contradiction? I would argue that it's not a contradiction by pointing to a story in Mark chapter 12, verse 41. There was this widow, you see, and she was uh, dependent on, 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 on generosity for income because as a widow living in the Middle East um, in the first century AD, you didn't have opportunities for jobs as a woman, especially as a widow, because you were dependent upon the income of your husband to feed you. So you have this woman who can't work and is not even married to a husband who can provide for her. So she is utterly dependent on the generosity of others. And so this is the woman who we're talking about right now. Verse 41, and Jesus, that he is Jesus. And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering plate. Can we just pause right there and talk about how just gangster Jesus is? Like, People say, I wish Jesus could be in church today. No, you don't. He'll be right there when the offering plate gets passed. A dollar? Is that what my salvation is worth to you? Do you see the holes in my hand? You better pull out a 20 right now. Just saying, I would never do that. Jesus is a different story. Jesus, <laughs> I hope you come back next Sunday. I promise this is going to be good. I hope you come back. Um, <laughs> Jesus is there. He said, many rich people put in large sums. So you got all these people who got a lot of money putting in money. So they got a lot. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of the poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So she put in more. So she had more even though she had less. Hmm. Sounds like a contradiction. It's not. Can I tell you why? Because we measure generosity different than God measures it. See, we measure generosity in simple, linear, logical form. $100 is greater than $1. Ten hours volunteering at church is greater than one hour volunteering at church. But that's not how God measures generosity. Listen to this. God doesn't measure generosity by how much you give. He measures generosity by how much you have left after you give. The woman had nothing left. The rich had a ton left. And because they had more left than what she had left, her gift was greater than the other one. Why am I bringing that up? Because I want you to know, you might not have a lot. Like there are people, you know who the heroes of this church are to me? Are the stay-at-home moms. Not the not stay-at-home moms. Are the, those two. But the, I love stay-at-home moms. You guys are heroes. My wife's stay-at-home mom. The moms who are single moms, working two jobs, 60 hours a week. I get emotional when I think about it. Working 60 hours a week, yet will take two hours out of their Saturday, last Saturday, to help load up a truck of toys to give to kids who are fighting cancer. And she takes her kids to that outreach. They could do it together as a family. Two hours on a Saturday might not mean a lot to you. Let me tell you, her two hours mean more to God than the 60 I put in here just because it's my job. What you have little of can mean so much to God you'd be willing to part, even if you have nothing. Even if you have nothing. Last Sunday, a woman met me outside the church. She had been here two weeks, coming to Journey for two weeks. The second week she's there, she taps me. She says, can I, can, I, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, sure. She tells me her story. She came from San Diego. She moved to, to Orlando. She said, I told the Lord when I moved to Orlando, I said, God, if you help me get a job, she said, I will give you my very first paycheck. That's what she said. What she didn't know was that she was about to get a good job. 
It's easy to say that when you're working at Mickey D's. I'm just saying, right? I'm going to give you my 2830. Like, okay. She got a big check from a great job. She says, but, but, but when I, as I was writing the check, I thought to myself, she said, but this is what I need to pay my rent. This is what I need to pay my food. And I was, and, 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 and she, and then she said, she pulled it out of her pocket and she her whole first paycheck. And I was waiting for the answer. I was waiting for, but God, God sent 10 people to my house with, with groceries. But my landlord came knocking on my door and said, eh, forget this week's rent. Like I was waiting for the miracle, but she didn't do it because she had provision. She didn't do it because more was coming on the way. She did it because she knew what she had left was the real sacrifice. Absolutely blessed my heart. And lastly, and then we'll close here. This is so important. Because the pleasure found in consumption will never outweigh the purpose found in contribution. Oh, man. Let me tell you. Hey, there was this guy named Peter and Andrew. This guy named Peter, and they were fishermen. In the Bible, you might know them. They wrote the book of Peter. Andrew brought Peter. This was one of the original 12 disciples. You know how mundane a fisherman's life must be? You wake up early in the morning. I'm, that's not me. I'm not a morning person. You wake up early in the morning. You go fish. You catch. You eat. You go to bed and you do it again. You wake up. You catch. You eat. And you do it again. You wake up. You catch. You eat. And you do it again. Sound familiar, anybody? You wake up. You catch. You eat. And you do it again. The monotony. The mundaneness. The pain in stagnancy. Complacency. But one day this guy named Jesus walked by. And he invited fishermen to be fishers of men. And in what seems like seconds, they threw their nets down and ran after Jesus. And in that second, you could tell that what clicked for them was, I'm tired of, of living to eat. Now I want to live to catch. I want to join Jesus in his mission because I will derive more purpose from joining a greater mission, something that is bigger than myself, than living life just eating and eating and catching and eating. This past Saturday, I had the opportunity to meet with a young man. He doesn't know I'm going to share this story, but I'm going to share it. I just want to tell his name. But yeah, so cool. He actually, I'm a, I'm a big football fan, love football. Uh, New York, grew up in New York. A former uh, New York Giants player who actually won a Super Bowl with the New York Giants. Pretty cool. He's coming to our church now. He's very excited. And um, he shared with me with tears in his eyes at a Starbucks. A couple years later, I was at a hospital bed sitting with a young man going through some sicknesses. And, and I'm seeing the impact I'm having on this man's life and on his family. I'm seeing the, the, the way that my life is, is contributing. The way This is what he said. He said, in the Super Bowl, I never felt more empty than I did there. With the confetti dropping down, with the champagne being popped in the locker room. He said, I I've never felt more empty than that place right there. And I've never felt more full than that hospital room right there. And in that moment, he called his agent and said, I'm retiring from the NFL. Why? Because he found out what I'm trying to tell you now. Contribution, the purpose found in contribution is way greater than the pleasure found in consumption. You can write it down like this because I think it'll make sense. There's a difference between being filled and fulfilled.
There's a difference between being filled and being fulfilled. If you live to fill your bank account, if you live to fill your closet, if you live to fill your social media account, if you live to fill, you will be empty. If you live to be fulfilled, no matter what is taken from you, your why drives you further. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you courageously to give. We're going to give in three ways. We're going to give first off spontaneously. I want, I, want, I want to have a church that sees a need and fills it. You know, the Good Samaritan helped that guy who was dying on the street. He didn't plan to do that. He just saw a guy that was dying on the street and he helped him out. That's what I want to be. At the other day, I saw somebody at usher, doing an usher here. They were helping people get to their seats. I'm like, who are you? I don't know you. He's like, well, I heard them talking about how they were short on ushers, and so I just grabbed the tag and jumped in. I'm like, awesome. Spontaneous generosity, right? That's what we want. In fact, I'm going to say it here today, and I'm going to say it every time we ever talk on this topic. When the offering bucket passes you, because I'm not just telling you that I want to be a generous person. I'm telling you, you want to be a generous church. As Journey Church, here's what I'm telling you. If you ever need shelter and if you ever need food, hear me out. When the offering bucket passes you, feel free to take out of that offering bucket whatever you need to pay for your food and to pay for your, for your room and board. I mean that. I won't plan it, but if you need it, you take it. For as long as this church exists, that'll always be open to you. We're going to give spontaneously. We're going to give strategically. We're going to give strategically. As a church, we plan to give. I want you to know as a church, before I tell you what to do, as a church, we don't just talk about tithing. Strategic is, is, is planning ahead. We do tithing. As a church, we give 10% of everything. Actually, right now, we're still living by faith. We're giving 15% as a church. Everything that comes in back into the community, we're planning churches all over the world. We're helping feed people. We're, we're helping schools. Because that's who we want to be. And I'm going to ask you to join us in giving strategically. I'm going to ask you to plan 10% your income as time to give to the Lord. Here's what the Bible says. Isaiah chapter 32 verse 8. But generous people plan to do what is generous. And they stand firm in their generosity. We never budget generosity. We never plan to be generous, but we do plan to what? Spend. What could God do in our life if we flipped it? What could God do through our church if we flipped it? And we begin to actually plan our generosity. What if together as a church, we got together and we said, hey, before this year starts, here's the goal. We want to give away $100,000 to families who are in need. What if we did that strategically, not just spontaneously? So we want to give spontaneously. We want to give strategically. And here's the last one. We want to give sacrificially. We want to give as a sacrifice till it hurts. That's what I want to be as a church. That's what I want to be in my wife. And I promise that I'm going to set the example with my wife and I. We're going to be ones giving way more than we ought to give. We're going to give way more than that. Irrational generosity. You know what I noticed about Jesus? When the woman put in the two coins, which was all that she had to live on, you know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't stop her. Isn't that significant? He knew it was all she had. He knew it was all she had. He could have said, no, 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 no. You need to eat. You need to eat. She said, don't, don't, she would have told him, don't rob me of my sacrifice, Jesus. I know what you're going to do a couple years, a couple, a couple months from now. I know you're going to go on the cross. Don't rob me. And here's the beautiful thing about sacrifice, and we'll close in a prayer right after I say it. Here's the beautiful thing about sacrifice. You never know what it can become. That woman turned two coins 
not into an offering. She turned two coins into a story that we are telling to this day. People are meeting Jesus to this day. For 2,000 years, two coins are continually making an impact. The beautiful thing about a sacrifice is it goes in as one thing, but it comes out as another. It goes in as a seed, but it comes out a harvest. It goes in as a 33-year-old Jewish carpenter in a grave for three days, but it comes out as salvation for humanity. It goes in. It goes in a dollar, but it comes out food for family. It goes in a, a 10%, but it comes out a church. It goes in one thing, but it comes out another. And God is asking you to sacrifice something today. I'm not even talking about money anymore. God might be asking you to sacrifice a relationship. God might be asking you to sacrifice a job. God might be asking you to step out in faith and do something that you've never done before. And you're holding back on that thing because you are afraid of how big that thing is. But what you do not know is what that thing will become. It will become more. God says press down, shaking together, running over in joy, in hope, in patience, in peace. What can God do with a church that gives spontaneously, that gives strategically, and gives sacrificially? I think God could change the world through that church. At least Winter Park. At least our neighbors. At least our families. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you commit to live a life generosity live a life of generosity today i'm gonna ask you to shoot your hand up and put it down right now one two three you want to give a life of generosity live a life of generosity be a generous person put your hand down father god you saw every hand that was raised god i ask right now that you begin to work in that heart that you begin to move in that heart that you begin to change and challenge and transform god help us to be a generous church it's not about money we want to be generous because of our heart because of what you've done for us because we have more than enough because we have little because the the pleasure of consumption does not compare to the purpose of contribution work in my life jesus work in the lives of everyone who raised their hands to be that contributor to be that person who sacrifices to see other people know Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're here this afternoon and you do not know Jesus Christ, maybe you were invited by a friend. Maybe as I'm talking about sacrifice, something is stirring in your heart. Maybe you didn't know that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for you and I, to be the sacrifice, to, to die the death that you and I should have died. If that's you, and you need to get right with Jesus. You want to start a relationship. Maybe you can't commit to changing your habits, but you're getting ready to change your heart. And you want to give your heart to Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed for a moment of privacy, I'm going to ask you on three to raise your hand if you want Jesus right now in your life. Are you ready? In this room, you need Jesus. One, two, three. You want to make a decision right now, this morning, to come back home to Jesus Christ. Come on, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see it. I see it. I see it. Come on, can we make some noise? About seven hands lifted up, coming back home to Jesus. Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's his generosity that spurs our generosity. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us amen at journeyorl.com where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option. Or text journeyorl to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.